Letter to the Romans. Yeah. Chapter 12 is really popular. I think a lot of people like chapter 12. I think so too. It's, you know, as soon as we told um, Barb that we were doing it, she goes, oh, yes. I love Romans 12. Yes. So I, I, I agree. I think it's well known and, and well loved yeah. for sure. The whole book of Romans is really popular. Maybe Paul's most famous letter to the Romans. Mm-hmm. And it's inspired so many people, tons of theologians, you know, world leaders, generations of Christians um, still inspires us today. Um, And while it's addressed to the church in Rome in our Bibles, Romans was probably written with the intention of being circulated and shared with many churches and communities of believers as a presentation of Paul's key ideas about the gospel at the time. Right. And Paul's major point from the beginning of the letter is how the gospel reorients the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles in first century Rome. Mm. Paul mostly wrote and ministered to Gentile communities, um, but he focuses on bringing both Jewish and Gentile believers together in Rome with this letter. He asserts that both groups of people are equally in need of salvation because they have not lived according to God's natural or scriptural laws. Right. So because they are equally in need of salvation, they're both capable of receiving God's saving grace through Christ and through the gospel message. So it kind of puts them more on like an even playing field. Right, right. Everyone is um, welcome and is capable of receiving God through the gospel. That's important. And reading about how Paul describes God's grace Uh, was game-changing for many historic Christian thinkers and writers, like St. Augustine, Martin Mm. Luther, of course, John Wesley. (laughs) Um, And in response to reading Romans, all three of them, and many more, describe a feeling they experienced of feeling reborn, um, their hearts strangely warmed, uh, or being enlightened Mm. on what the world is like now, Um, having discovered how Christ has saved them and offered them new life. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Those are some some big theologians and and thinkers. And what I thought was really interesting um, about this particular portion of the letter is the way that Paul talks about the body. Mm. And it kind of, you know, got me thinking and and us thinking, um, you know, do our bodies, like our physical bodies, have anything to do with religion or with spirituality? And, you know, my answer was a, a big resounding yes. Yes, yes that yeah. they do. Absolutely. Um, you know, we read in the very first chapter of Genesis one twenty seven. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Um, and in John 1.14, and the word became flesh yeah. and lived among us, and we have seen his glory. And, and things like this are all throughout scripture and the Bible. And what I feel like scripture is telling us is that our bodies are a part of God's creation. Mm. Our bodies are at the root of our human experience. And what's interesting is that historically, Christian thought has kind of worked to separate uh, body and spirit, right? 
And, and they do this often by demonizing your body, um, saying that, you know, the bodily functions or appearances and desires are somehow bad. Mm. Um, it's what makes us sinful, right, our bodies. Right, yeah. But in reality, our bodies are us. We are our bodies. So take a moment, um, you know, and, and just consider the ways in which you experience God, or you experience divine love. Mm. You know, for me, I'm most aware of God when I'm, you know, taking in the beauty of nature, or when I'm listening to a piece of music, um, when I'm in the loving company of good friends and family. And I experience all of these in my body, through my senses. You know, and I would imagine each of you experience God in your own unique way, but it most likely involves your body somehow. Mm. And so the concept of intentionally incorporating our physical bodies into our beliefs and our practices is called embodied theology. And some of you may already be familiar with embodied theology. And, and if you are, you probably know how transformative this perspective can be, not only in terms of how we think of our own individual bodies, but also in regards to the collective body of the world. Yeah. So I, I wanted to pick up on, you know, back to the letter specifically. Right. You gave a really great introduction um, to, to Romans and to Paul and what he, what he was doing with the letter. And so the question is, what did Paul mean in the context? And uh, that's a great question. We're always asking, what did Paul mean? What did Paul mean? <laughs> we, yeah. we love to ask, what what were people, you know, thinking when they wrote something like 2,000 years ago in a totally different world? It's our favorite thing to do. Right. Um, you know, I think it's important to note that Paul is not a systematic theologian, mm. right? His work is very contextual. Mm -hmm. um, and when he's writing, he has like no idea that these words are going to become canonized, and one day I'm going to be reading them from my iPhone. <laughs> right. No clue. Um, right. But what we do know about Paul is that he was greatly influenced by Stoicism. Mm. And the Stoic philosophers actually believed that the entire universe was a body. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they didn't really believe this metaphorically either. Um, they literally understood each person, each individual body to be a microcosm, a whole living system. And when in relation to others, you know, me and Sarah or us together, we create the macrocosm, mm -hmm. the larger body. And so I, I see Paul, you know, maybe trying to, to alter this thinking a little bit, um, moving from us being, you know, a, a whole living thing to a part of the body in order to emphasize the interdependence of each member of this larger body, of, of the macrocosm. Mm, right. Um, because like you shared earlier, Sarah, it, it, this was most likely done 
in order to establish a, a greater sense of unity between Jewish and Gentile believers. It was important um, that they were interconnected, that they knew that they needed one another. Yeah. So, in our modern day context, I'm actually drawn back to the Stoic interpretation um, that the universe is one body. I think that's, I think that's really beautiful, yeah. right? And United Methodists really support ecumenical and interfaith relationships and endeavors and understand the importance of working together for the common good. And each of our bodies, each of us, play an important role in the work of, of love and justice. Yeah. And in order to do this work well, we have to not only recognize our own role, but the ways in which our roles are interconnected with the roles of those working alongside of us. Mm -hmm. So the project on lived theology captured this so beautifully in an article from 2012. I just wanted to read a little snippet of it. This is what, this is what they wrote. They said, a theology that upholds the sanctity of our bodily existence will concern itself deeply with the manifold relationships that sustain our creaturely state of radical interdependence. Thus, our recognition of ourselves as living bodies lays the groundwork for an ethic that preserves the sacred in the whole membership of God's creation. Mm. I just thought that was really beautiful. Yeah. And it really kind of captures, um, you know, when, when we value bodies, our own, and those around us, we can truly begin the work of valuing all of creation. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, and so how do we begin that work of recognizing ourself as a living body, starting small, right, starting with ourselves, and understanding um, the scope of my body is part of God's beautiful, glorious, magnificent creation? Yeah. Um, that's, that's a lot of work, especially in today's world, uh, when from a very young age, we learn how to recognize the standard for an attractive body or an acceptable body um, from the many, many forms of media we consume. TV, advertisements, movies, mm. all sorts of stuff. And, and those images of bodies that are most attractive structure the societies we live in and how we interact with one another. Right. So part of recognizing what makes us um, creative uh, part of God's creation is recognizing how we are different from that standard or mm -hmm. from that um, expectation society has for us. Mm. Advertisers remind us so much how we need to buy a product or how we need to go to a class or do something uh, to get closer to the ideal of young, blonde, thin, muscular, unblemished, this concept of a body mm. and how it should look that has been idolized and standardized as part of today's world. Right. And 
I don't know that many people who have this body that, right. that you're describing. Right. I don't know anyone who not, does either. Not super common. We see it everywhere, but we don't know people right. with this body. Right. right. And not just in the media, but in our social systems, right? Mm. The United States government is still dominated by middle-aged, white male, able bodies. Mm. Um, And this is another implicit standard for what leaders and people who hold power should look like. Uh, It's not something that we um, maybe critically think about at first, but we just see it on our television and throughout history so much that it becomes standardized and we don't think to question it. And that trickles down from you know, the president's office and Congress uh, to our local governments and systems that mm-hmm. influence who we assign power to, who mm-hmm. we let lead us. Mm-hmm. These implicit standards for appropriate shapes, colors, and structures of bodies solidifies the idea that difference is unattractive or even dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, we live in systems that teach us to judge or shame or discriminate against bodies that don't look like this standard we have built up or don't even look like our own. And sometimes that can include our own bodies. Because we live in these systems with these standards, if we look different or if we identify what's different about us that doesn't meet that standard, it can cause a lot of internal shame for us. Right. Consciously or unconsciously, We all wrestle with the body we live in Mm. and are often trying to erase or change or adapt what is different about us in order to fit in, in order to meet the attractiveness standard we make up. Mm. When we do this, we sacrifice parts of our authentic selves, parts of the differences that are included in the God-created bodies we have. And when we don't make the effort to change ourselves or strive to meet society's standards, we often not only face our own shame, but shame from others because of our differences. We're made to believe that bodies which don't meet the standard are less than, are dangerous, are forgettable, should be excluded. Mm -hmm. In the message translation of the New Testament and this letter from Paul, verse 3 reads, The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what God does for us, not by, but, not by what we are and what we do for God. Mm. So that, you know, looking at ourselves and looking at our lives through that lens of God's good creation and God's good love for us and everyone helps us to tear down these limiting beliefs society gives us and helps us to build up an acceptance of ourselves, including our differences right, and the differences of others mm. so that we can recognize ourselves as the living part of creation, like you were mentioning earlier, yeah. and recognize others as part of God's living, beautiful creation. Mm. In her book, The Body is Not an Apology, oh. and just that title, it's a good title. I love, that title <laughs> says so much, The Body is Not an Apology. Sonia Renee Taylor says, identifying difference is a way to embrace how we can show up as our fullest, 
most authentic selves without shame. Mm. Locating our identity in the body of Christ, locating our body in the body of Christ, reminds us that we are all made by God, that our differences are works of creation by God's loving hands. And they are there to celebrate rather than erase, that we can notice them and affirm them, and that we can include everybody in the body of Christ. That's good. <laughs> include every body in the body, body of, Christ. of Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a good one. <laughs> so Paul talks about discerning the will of God, renewing our minds, um, experiencing inner transformation, and identifying spiritual gifts. These are tasks of our faith tradition that are ongoing, slow work that happens over our lifetime and in the generations of our community. And although God can speak suddenly and clearly in our lives to give us direction, we often spend hours in prayer or in spiritual practices connecting to God spiritually and connecting to one another um, through discernment and transformation. Right. And these are practices that we sometimes don't think about including our bodies in. Maybe some of us have never thought to include our bodies in these spiritual transformations. Right. So when we bring our bodies into worship, when we use spiritual prayers like what Alyssa taught us from Julian of Norwich. Yeah. Yeah, when we accept and affirm God's presence spiritually in our lives through our bodies, we learn to love and affirm our whole selves, even the parts of us that are different. Mm. And this work is equally slow, spiritual, and ongoing through our lives and the lives of our community as we learn to uphold and celebrate ourselves as part of God's creation and others. We are charged with becoming perfect, but not in a way that eliminates the parts of us that are weird or broken or different, but to become perfect through becoming whole, Mm. transforming ourselves through believing in Christ, loving ourselves fully and completely and wholly as God's glorious creation taking the time to acknowledge and include our bodies in our spiritual practices equips us with the loving acceptance we need to see and welcome others as children of God in this world. Mm. And it all starts just with, with your body. Right. Loving your body and then loving other bodies. Yeah. So we invite you to reflect on how you experience God's presence, spiritually, but also physically. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Please join us now in singing our theme hymn, number 2153, I'm Gonna Live So God Can Use Me.